0: Tell me the- The angel came and he touched the cold to my. Angel came and he touched the cold to my. Your power. spiritual authority Our battle is not against flesh and blood but principalities and powers of darkness I just see the throne of the Lord and I just I know right now we're we're there we're in the throne Just get before him right now and take up your authority for this next season. There's so many of you, you have so much authority. It's time to tap into our authority.
1: just see it laying
0: on the ground right in front of you. Some of you, I see it right up over your head. Just grab it. Just grab your authority as a prophetic act. Grab your authority. one more time, there's an army there's an army rising up come on, sing it with your authority now there's an army their authority, get your authority of what you've journeyed through, what you've been through.
1: Glory to God. It's a great honor to be here. I know the, it was a year ago, actually, we were here. And uh, we, when we came in here, they made us feel like family. So we said we wanted to come back. And uh, God is so good. Um, Today, you when your wife was talking about scars, let me tell you something about scars. The nice thing about scars. Somebody says there's nice things about scars. I said, yeah, it means you've been attacked. And you've been healed. See, scars are evidence of healing. You know, but I I remember the movie Jaws when it first came out. And there's a scene in the movie and these guys are sitting inside the boat. And he's going, you see this scar here? That's when a hatchet went through my hand. Well, let me show you this scar. That's when a pencil lead went into my finger. And the guy, this one guy, he had the lamest stories about all his scars. And the other guys were drastic. I mean, it was like terrible. And see, scars sometimes are something that can be compared. And you say, well, how's that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing because we all go through different experiences. See, there's scars that you have that I don't have. But you know what? You can minister to me to help me to avoid to get the same scars you have and I have scars that I can tell you about and how I was healed but I can warn you ahead of time so you don't have scars and then I looked up here and I saw these starfish up here and you know I'm originally from Florida we're not totally out of Florida yet and uh, so we left Florida eight over eight years ago and we still spend probably half the year still in Florida because my wife's business is down there so I'm still trying to escape. But I was thinking about the starfish, and this is a funny thing. There's this, uh, there's this guy, and he's walking. There's millions of starfish along the beach. And he's walking down, and he, he reaches down and picks up a starfish and throws it in the ocean. He picks up another one, throws it in the ocean, picks up another one. And some guy's watching him. He's saying, this is ridiculous. He walks down to the man, and he says, let me tell you something. He said, do you realize how many millions of starfish are down here? He said, do you really think you're making a difference? And he reaches down and picks up a starfish and threw him back in the water. He said, made a difference to him. And so sometimes we may not be able to do everything, but God wants us to do something. And so we may have our little part and the little part you play may be changing somebody's life, you know, stretching it out, talking to that person that maybe is thinking about committing suicide and you stop them from doing that. So that later in years in the future. They may have the same opportunity to stop somebody from committing suicide. You know. I, there's, a, there's a Christmas story. And in the Christmas story. I'm tra- trying to think of the name. I went blank. You guys can tell me. It's, it's old. It's where he says I wish I was never born. It's a wonderful life. And so. This angel comes and makes it as though he never existed. And all of a sudden he saw the changes in everybody's life. How it didn't affect, you know, how he didn't have an effect on them. Finally, the, the moral of the story is he realizes the importance of who he is. And when he comes back and the angel brings him back into the proper time, there's a joy and an aspiration on him to be better than he was before. And today, as you came in here, I want you to leave here today better than what you came in. Okay? So I've got some things I want to share. We we may uh, allow the Holy Spirit to move today and and pray for some people. No, actually, it's the other way around. The Holy Spirit moves as He wills. You know, it's like I don't go into a church and say we're going to have a Holy Ghost service because I don't know. It's up to Him. But He knows what's going on in your life. And see, a minister can only preach in a church or in, at a revival. A minister can only preach as hungry as the people are. Yeah. See, God will only give you substantial meat and information when you're hungry for it. Yeah. If you go in a church where, you, you know, they, I remember hearing them say, the frozen chosen, you know. Uh, it's hard to preach. I've been in those churches before and I'm just kind of like, and um, uh, I don't even know what to say. It's like I'm thinking, what? Isn't wrong? what's wrong with me? It wasn't nothing wrong with me, the Lord said. The Lord said it was wrong with the congregation. They're not hungry for the things of God. You know, and so when your pastor today was even sa- talking about the coronavirus, you know, uh, I have an opportunity to get direct information from the White House. This thing is bigger than anybody thinks it is. And it's growing at a capacity that nobody wants to tell you. And there's a lot more people infected in the United States than they want to tell you. So don't be embarrassed to wear a mask. Even the devil took Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, you know, throw yourself down. And Jesus, uh-uh, ain't going to do it. I ain't going to tempt the Lord God, you know. And the devil began to quote scripture. There's nothing wrong with wearing a mask. You're going on an airplane. You're going into a store. Wear a mask. Use wisdom, you know. I mean, even even Jesus, he knew the angels would catch him. But he's not doing that. He don't have nothing to prove to the devil, number one. And there's nothing wrong with covering up. But let me tell you how we should pray today. And this is what, you know, the way they want us to pray in the White House for this. Is let's pray that God gives man the wisdom to come up with an antidote. Okay? Something that they can inject you and you're going to be Okay? Okay, I mean, it's one thing to stand. Yes, we need to stand and we need to believe for victory. But, you know, if we come up with an antidote, you know, when there was plagues throughout history, if they would only had penicillin. Nobody had invented penicillin and and millions of people had died from plagues. And what we need to do is believe that they come up with a cure for this. This is our prayer. You know, not only that you don't get infected, but if they come up with a cure, all those that are already ill and dying can be healed. Because not everybody has the faith. You know, the Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. And a lot of people today, especially church people, are growing weary. How many churches do you go to? We, we speak of miracles, but how often do you really see a genuine miracle? I mean, most people, today pray like they're pulling a slot machine arm. And uh, am I going to get this prayer answered? Oh, I didn't get it. And the reason is, doubt and unbelief does not reach the throne of God. Only the prayer of faith reaches the throne of God. And so we've got to build ourselves up. So when we talked about authority today, you know, it's amazing. A, a 64,000 uh, 64, pound semi coming down the road... And a police officer puts on these little orange or yellow gloves. And he's standing out in the middle of the road. And he goes. And that semi goes. Now he has no physical power to stop that semi. But he has authority. And see every one of you have been deputized. By the kingdom of God when you became a Christian. To use the authority that God's given you. So I encourage you today. Recognize who you are in Christ. You know, the devil can't read your mind, but he can read your expressions. He can read what you say. You see, the Bible says, out of the mouth proceeded blessings and cursings. So there's one or two coming out of your mouth. Am I blessing or am I cursing? You can bless yourself, curse yourself. You can bless others, curse them, you know. But if God's blessed you, who can curse you? If God has blessed you, who can curse you? No man can curse you. And see, people don't understand. There's a story in the Bible that talks about Peter. And I love, I love reading from the original text. I mean, I've had opportunity to travel from one end of Israel to the other. Traveling with top theologians and historians. Reading from the original text that our Bible has been translated from. It's amazing. All of a sudden, about 300 stories in the Bible came to life for me. Because there's, our Bible is not incorrect. It's actually incomplete. And when the translation would happen, there's little things in the Bible that are left out. And so when Peter was in the garden with Jesus, when they come to take him, you remember Jesus spoke the, and all the soldiers and the people fell back. The reason that happened is so that his disciples had a chance to run away. Because Peter just got done chopping off an ear of a soldier. That's punishable by death. But Peter... That's not enough warning. Peter decides, I'm going to follow after the Lord. You know, I'm going to be a brave man. And I'm going to follow. I'll I'll be back here. I'll be way back here. But what ended up happening is people began to recognize who Peter was. So Jesus, prior to the garden, said to him, He said, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. Oh no, Lord, I'll die with you. I'll do this. I'm sure Jesus kind of went, it's me saying it to you, Peter. You know, I don't lie. So Peter's begins to follow behind Jesus. And all of a sudden someone says, isn't that the, one of the, his disciples? No, nope. don't even know the guy. Don't know him. Nope. No, nope. don't know him. You know, he's like going to let him know. I don't know who the guy is. Goes a little further. Somebody else comes along. He says, don't know him. Never seen the guy before in my life. Just want to see what's going on here. No, you look like the guy. I'm not the guy You misunderstand that other guy had curly hair, too. You know, we look a lot alike. It's not me But we read in our Bible the third time that Jesus cursed That's actually in I mean not Jesus but Peter cursed that's the incorrect statement Peter cursed every day They found the lost four books of the Bible Peter cursed on a regular basis Jesus probably was all the time had to slap him in the mouth. I mean, it was like Peter shot. Psh, Peter. Psh, psh, Peter. It made me think of the Blues Brother. Remember the movie, The, the Nun? Psh, 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 psh. You know, that's Peter. You know, and so I'm going to shut Peter up. No, what happened on the third time he denied him, it says in the actual text, he was accursed. A curse came on him. He didn't curse. A curse came on him. So now Jesus goes with them. Peter at this point Takes off. You know, this is too dangerous. I'm not going to be here. He leaves. They take Jesus away. They torture him. They crucify him. And he dies on the cross and they bury him. Three days later, Peter... I mean, Jesus is resurrected from the, from the dead. And so there was other saints also. If you read your Bible, there was other saints resurrected from the dead at the same time. Who were they? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But there was other people. That were resurrected. So, Jesus, when he's resurrected, he spends 40 days and 40 nights here before he goes home to be with the Lord. He walks up to Peter. He says, Peter, listen to what I'm about to tell you here. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I told you I love you. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, I love you. He had him say three times that he loved him for the three negative statements that he said that he didn't know him. To lift the curse off of him so that Peter could go into all the world and preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? And then we hear about, we hear about um, uh, Judas and how Judas betrayed Jesus. And it says he went and he got a rope and he went out and he hung himself. And in a, not even a sentence down, it says, and he fell, and his bowels bursted open. And then when I was in Bible college, they said, well, maybe he hung there long enough that his body decomposed. And he fell, and his bowels bursted open. No, when you read from the original text, the original Hebrew, the Arabic, and the Greek, this is what happened. There's a cliff. The field of blood is below the cliff. It's down here. It's nothing but boulders and rocks. There's not even a blade of grass. I've been there. On the top, about 60 to 80 feet, there's a ledge. Over the ledge, is trees hanging out over the ledge. Judas takes his rope, throws it up over a branch of the tree, ties it off, hangs it around his neck, and leaps off the edge of the cliff. Guess what happens? Limb breaks. And he falls at 60, 80 feet onto those rocks, and his bows are bursting open, and he's killed. Wow, it puts a different perspective on the whole story now. It's like all of a sudden, light bulb... Now that makes sense. And so when I started learning these things, God started revealing that there's so much more to the Word of God than what we know. And, and so, see, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved. A workman not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. He says it has to be rightly divided. If it's wrongly divided, we get the wrong information. There's actually four translations, and now they're even saying possible five translations of Hebrew throughout the generation. And when the word changes, so does the content of the word throughout these generations. So you've got to know what generation you're reading from, when this was written, and who was what period of time who was the writer. Because it can mean something totally different. I remember growing up, and... and uh, Going to somebody's house and, and having my grandmother come up to me and say, Did you all have a gay time? No, I didn't do that then. I went, Yeah, we had a lot of fun. If my grandmother would have said that to me today, I said, Grandma, don't you know me? The words changed. The words changed. And so we have to be careful how the words changed, who we're talking to, how we were raised. What we think words actually mean. I mean, in Pennsylvania, I grew up, that's where I was born, Pennsylvania. We didn't say bathroom. We said bathroom. You know, Yella. you know, Collar. I mean, we would, ch- we would change every word. And I, my family was, uh, I ended up finding out that on my grandmother's side, they were Jewish. On my grandfather's side, they were German. And so I ended up finding out I was a German Jew in 2013 on my first trip to Israel. My dad on my father's side, my biological father, is 100% Irish. So I grew up thinking that's what I was, Irish. So I'm a Jewish, Irish, German. And I don't have a temper. I don't understand. I missed out. I thought with the three of those, I could probably get angry, but instead the Holy Ghost got a hold of me at seven years old. I got born again at nine years old and at 14 years old, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. And when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, it wasn't a matter of whether I believed in it or not. I walked through a a line praying and my friend was before me, he laid hands on him. You remember Scott Thomas? He laid hands on him and I was, uh, I think I I was 14, he was 13. And he anointed him, and I actually felt electricity come through him. And we were on the, fl- the, the old floors, they had this like eighth inch thick carpet with no padding, concrete underneath it. And when he fell, he went this way, arched. And the first thing that hit the, the ground was his head. And so when the, I got up next, and the, that evangelist said, Would you like a double portion? No, no, sir, not at all. <laughs> you no, know, nope, that's all right. And when they put oil on you, they didn't go. It went, blum, 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 blum. I mean, your clothes are ruined. I'm telling you, it just would drain over you. So this guy, he didn't pour any more on me, but he's sopping in oil. He grabs my head. He's going like this to me. I mean, my whole body's shaking around. I'm just thinking, Jesus save me. You know, I mean, I'm scared of this guy. And then all of a sudden, I come walking out of this line. And when I did... I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. I didn't go down. And then I didn't, I thank you. Next thing you know, here I am. I take off in tongues. For 30 minutes, I couldn't speak English. Literally tried to speak English and could not speak English. Now I could start and stop when I wanted, but I couldn't speak English. I remember standing there, my mom was behind me. I wanted to turn around and say to her, wow, I can't believe I actually got filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And I'm I can't talk. And I'm laughing. I mean, it was the funniest thing that ever happened to me. It changed my life. It changed my life. I had a father that wasn't there. I grew up in a family that I could have every excuse to be dysfunctional, to have problems. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. And the day my dad left my mom for another woman and walked out the door, it was like, yeah... I loves my dad. Don't get me wrong. And my, the last years with my dad were phenomenal. He, he come to know the Lord. He had a strong relationship with God before he passed. But those early years, he grew up where they took their belt off. And I got spankings for things I didn't do. If he just thought I did it, I went in, it was drop your pants and your bare butt was showing and it wasn't one or two whacks. I would have blood pours of blood coming out my butt. Today you go to jail for it. And so that's how I was beat. And all I knew is I got beat. I didn't do what he said I did. I got accused of things that I didn't do. I had every reason to be angry and upset. But I chose not to be upset. I chose not to have resentment or anger or unforgiveness. But I want you to turn your Bibles right now to John chapter uh, 15. Actually, let's do this. I want to start here because of the sake of time. let's go to second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 10, verse one. And it says this: "And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Amos died, and Hanan had sons reigned in his stead. Then said David. I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as if as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servant for his father, and David's servant came into the land of the children of Almos. Now I'm just going to paint a picture and I'm just going to tell you what's going on here, and you can read the rest later. But here's King David. So the king that originally ruled dies. And David says, I'm going to do something kind. I'm going to to send myself, because I'm busy, I'm going to send some of my ambassadors, some of my chief leaders to go there because now that king's son becomes king and show them kindness and love so that they know that I cared about his father and I cared about this man. So he sends these leaders and these ambassadors, as our president does today. If the president can't go uh, to a certain country, he'll send the vice president or the secretary of state or somebody of great importance to go in his stead. And so this is what David did. Well, while these men are there, there's people talking into this new young king's ear. Let me tell you something. They're here to spy out the land. They want to take over your kingdom. They want to see how many soldiers you have. They want to see what you're actually going to do next. And they're planning to take it over. And this young king with no experience ends up taking these men. Now listen to this. He takes these men out and he shaves off half their beard and he cuts their garments up till their buttocks is showing. That's like a Forrest Gump buttocks. Uh, And so to their buttocks is showing. These are, great, these are great delegates. These are important men. Now you would say, what's the big deal? You know, they didn't kill them. They didn't do anything. I mean, you know, you think, Ah, Shack, and Abednego. Hey, what are you talking about, buttercup? You know, they threw us into the fire. And Daniel would say, I spent the night with lions. All they did is shave off half your beard and showed your buttocks. But what happened is there was embarrassment that was there. They were shamed. And so because of that shame, it caused great distress on these men because they were very important in their land. And so I want to talk to you about something. One of the things that the enemy will come against us with is offense. He wants us to be offended. And you know, the Bible teaches us that we're all going to be offended. We're all going to be hurt. We're all going to have resentment. And the enemy, wants to, he wants to try to destroy you. In Luke 17, verse 1, you know, it's telling clear that everyone will be offended. Everybody will be hurt. You know, there's going to be people that come against you and say bad things. You know, They're just be saying, you know, I, every time I try to do something, man, they're beating on my dreams. They're trying to hurt me. They don't have no words of affirmation. They're always cutting me down. They're putting me down. And know what? We can take offense on that. We can allow hurt to come in. But you know what? It's not what we do with the offense. It's how we handle it in love. Now, God is love. Say that with me. God is love. So in order to be in God, you have to be in love. See, when a husband and wife are getting married, to get together. Have you ever heard anybody say to you, well, we're growing apart. That's an oxymoron. That's not growing. We're growing apart. We've grown apart. No, you've fallen apart. You don't grow apart. You grow together. You fall apart. I mean, right? Correct? And so, but you have people say, well, we've, we've grown apart. You know, we're, we're not I'm going to tell you this right now. If God is love, in order to stay in love, you have to be in God. So what would be the evidence of falling out of love with somebody? Falling out of God. See, when you do not have an intimate relationship with God, you're not going to be able to have an intimate relationship with anyone. See, any love that's outside of God is a counterfeit. God only gives us the ability to have true love inside of us. So it's like when somebody that's heathens in the world, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a saying, a form of godliness, but without God. Okay. So there's a false love because the people that are truly in love with each other, and I say in love, like Christ is in love with us. We're supposed to be in love with him. We hear people say all the time, I love the Lord with all my heart. You know what I'd like to hear you say? I am in love with the Lord with all my being. You know, we're supposed to be in love with our heart, our mind, and our spirit. We're supposed to love Him with all of ourselves. That's in love. And it's called an agape love. And there's other types of loves, but the one love that lasts is agape love. So when you're in marriage, in order to walk in love successfully, you've got to be walking in God. You know, it, it doesn't take two to make a marriage work. It takes three. Okay, it doesn't take two, it takes three. It only takes one to break up a relationship. Only one. You know, I was married, I've been divorced. I know. I gave 250% to try to save my marriage. But I was with somebody that decided they wanted somebody else. Then after the marriage was broke up, they never got married. They still don't even live together. They just still come together. And is that God? No, it's not God. But the enemy comes to kill, to steal and destroy. He wants to destroy you. And so what's he going to do? He's going to cause offense. He's going to cause you to be upset on the inside. But let me tell you something. When offense and attack comes against us, see, bad things sometimes happen to you, sometimes bring out the greatest in you. See, when the enemy's coming against you at the hardest, that's when you get to see what you're actually made of. Greater is he that is in you than you. See, I don't have to depend on me. When the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength, we think instantly that we're supposed to be in joy. But what is the joy of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus is the joy of the Lord. That's, we we don't realize. So when Jesus is in me, that joy that's inside me, it doesn't mean I necessarily even have a smile on my face. But I have strength because the greater one lives on the inside of me. I actually had a circumstance, this a little rabbit trouble. I had a a situation we were talking about last night where I actually had a true bona fide demon-possessed individual that came up to me. Had worms crawling around their eyes. It sounded like almost a choir of voices coming out of their mouth. And I kept them, I, like I kept them away from me. And you know sometimes when you're, you're like nervous. It's like you don't know whether to stay or run. You know. But I was too lazy to run so I had to stand and fight. And so... This demon-possessed person comes up there. And I don't even know at the time. I, I, you know, I say this because it's, it's true. At the time, even the answer I was looking for. But when I'm holding this, this demon-possessed person in bay, I say, do you know who I am? <laughs> I mean, what's that mean? You know? I mean, I didn't see myself at the time as some great apostle or, or anything like that. But guess what they said? Yes. The greater one lives inside you. Oh, man. I felt my chest go. It felt like it was this big. When it happened, I was like, you are coming out. You know. Daddy's back. You know. That's how you feel. I mean, you're just like. And I didn't make no long prayer. I told that demon. I said, you know how this is going to go? I said, just like when Jesus came cast out the demons, they went into the swine. I said, I'm gonna cast you out or I'm casting you back into the pit of hell because I knew who was in me there. And she, she literally couldn't look at me and she said, when I said I cast her back into the pit of hell, she said, no, with all these voices. And I was like, oh, I can do that. But I wanted to make sure they came out. I made them take all the children out of the room. They got all the children out of the room. They got with the we, I even said, it. So if you ain't a strong Christian here, of course, it wasn't hard. When those voices came out of her like that, people were, I mean, their eyes were so big. It was like unreal. You see people back there literally like this shaking, you know, and I'm too caught up into it to think about it. It was afterwards. I, you ever been like close to getting in a car accident or something or something happened? And afterwards you go, you know, that's how I felt. But because I'm in the spirit when I was in there, the power of God came on me. You know, I wasn't in my flesh. I was in my spirit. And so I had everybody removed and I told them never to come back to this church again. If I find out you come in one of these people, I will cast you into the pit of hell. And I screamed to the top of my lungs and told that demon to go. And when it did, that lady just dropped. I caught her. And I looked at her eyes. They were normal. We took her and we set her down in a chair. And when I sat her down in the seat and I looked at her, she began to... Just talk. And I laid hands on her. I didn't even ask her if she's born again. I just laid hands on her and prayed that she would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately she began speaking in tongues. And she began crying out to God. And then she went on to tell us that for 20 years, she went to 20 pastors and all of them ran from her. They ran from her. And it took every bit of energy she had to show up there. You know? And he had to find somebody that was too lazy to run (laughs) to do it. And I knew, I knew, when I say this, I knew, I knew if if I don't follow through with this, the devil's going to know he can beat me the rest of his life. I mean, it's like I'm stuck in the mud. There's nowhere to go. i got no choice but to do this. And I just hit it with everything I had in my spirit. And it wasn't no long prayer. Like I said, I'm telling you from the time she came up to the time that demon was cast out for five minutes. Five minutes. I had a guy that I know, I don't want to say his name, he worked for the diocese in, in uh, Rome at the Vatican and he was one of the, the priests under the ground that they do the exorcisms and cast out demons. And I asked him, I said, how long did it take you to cast out demons? He said, sometimes weeks. And I said, have you ever seen anything? He says, We've seen everything. He talked about this one girl who was on this bed and when they were trying to cast a demon, her body flew up 16 feet in the air, smashed against a concrete ceiling and then down the floor and it killed her. I said, oh my word. He says, he says Troy. He says, 80% of the ones we cast out demons die before we get the demons cast out of them. The demons rip them apart, destroy them. And I'm just thinking, where in the world is their authority? You know, it's too ritual. That name, which is above every name. You know? And when you know who you are, and you're like that deputy with the gloves, you got your spiritual gloves on, the armor of God, and you do it, You take that authority. The devil has to listen to it. So when I said earlier, the devil can't read your mind. There's an old saying, fake it till you make it. You know what? When you're down, and you're unhappy... Do this. Why? It freaks the devil out. He's going, I am coming against him with everything I can. I'm trying to destroy him. And they're smiling. Aren't they hearing a word I say? No. And see, remember this. Temptation is not sin. Okay? Just because you think something, it says cast down every vain imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bring in it to captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. You're going to think some of the most awful things. What you've got to do is when you recognize it, immediately begin to pray, cast it down. Just cast it down. It don't make you a bad person. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He wasn't tempted to be tempted. He was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights before we got to the last three that we all know about. He was tempted with everything you're tempted with. And he never thought once that he was a bad person. And he was as righteous as you could be. He never sinned. And he still had the temptations. You're born into a corrupt flesh that cannot be made righteous. But what is the key thing? You know, when people say, well, I'm only human, that's an excuse. Because you become a child of God when you become born again. And the greater is he that's inside you. What you have to do is allow your spirit man to be so built up that your flesh is in subjection to your spirit. Not your spirit, it's subjection to your flesh. You know, well, I'm weak. Well, fix it. Fix it. It's not an excuse. Fix it. You know, well, God's grace is sufficient for what? Purpose sin? See, we have a misunderstanding of grace too. When I was over there reading, they were reading about grace. We think grace is on every bad decision that we make. It's not. Grace is when we make the right decision to do the right thing but when we're doing the wrong thing on purpose and then Afterwards, you say, well, I'll ask for forgiveness later so I don't go to hell. There's no grace for that. How's grace work? Grace works like this. I'm going to go tithe, and I may be doing it uncheerfully. And you need to be a cheerful giver when you give in order to get the full capacity out of what you're giving. But let's just say hypothetically I'm a new baby Christian, and I give grudgingly. But I still go up there. And I still drop the money in. But as soon as I do, I'm going. Why? Because I know that I need to do it, in spite of the fact I don't want to do it. And guess what? God's grace is sufficient. Why? Because I did what I was supposed to do. So His grace is on me, even though I didn't want to do it. But when I don't do it, and I know I should do it, it's sin. It's sin. And there's no grace for that. You know, we were talking last night. When you, when you, you know, some people say, well, I don't have the money. Well, then tithe on your tithes. Start somewhere. Don't give nothing, give something. I mean, I've been with some really rich people. I mean, we grew up in Palm Beach. 65% of the world's wealth is in Palm Beach, Florida. It's amazing. That's why a lot of the, the candidates and all come down there. My wife is a fundraiser down there. But that's why they come down there because all the money's there. They come down, Teresa, can you get me some meetings? She said, well, let me see what I can do. You know? Why? Because they know that's where the money is. They'll come down there. She'll do one meeting. They'll make more money in one of her, her fundraisers. One meeting than they've made all year in their state. Why? The money's there. The money's there. See, we we gotta go where we're gonna get the best benefits, the most potential out of whatever it is that we need. And if you need the Lord, you need to get on your face, you need to get in your word, and you need to study it. See, because the only way you're gonna get blessed is if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It says, all things shall be added unto you. A lot of times we're looking, how can, I, how can I get a new house? You know, we were talking about this last night. The Bible says that God will give you your heart's desire. What is my heart? Anybody know what my heart is? My spirit. My spirit man. Well, wait a second. My spirit man don't care about no house. It don't care about no car. It cares about the things of God. So when God says, I'll give you your heart's desires, I desire people to be blessed. I desire people to be saved. I desire people to be healed. I desire to see them find the kingdom of God. So that needs to follow me. That atmosphere needs to follow me. I want to see their lives change, them, them, them become what God wants them to be. That's my heart's desire. But if I need a car and I need a house, what do I do? I tithe. Why? Why? Because that makes me obedient to God. Because that ties, guess what? It don't belong to you. When you give God your tithes, you've given, you've given Him nothing. You were obedient. But then there's a the thing called offerings. Your offering is your seed time and harvest. So think of it this way. Your tithes is like going out, a farmer going out plowing the field. I just went out and plowed the field and I got some good soil now. And then I come along with my offering, which is my seed time and harvest. And when I throw my offering in and my seed time and harvest, now I get some 30, 60, 100 return. Guess what? I can go buy me a nice house. I can go buy me a nice car. So what else do I need to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you. Mark eleven twenty three twenty four 24 says, For truly, I say unto you that whosoever, how many whosoever's do we have in here today? You're all whosoever's. Whosoever. It's people in the world, people outside of the world, maybe aliens in outer space. You know? Whosoever. Your dog, no. We're supposed to preach to every living creature, so I preach to my dogs. Um, But whosoever shall say to the mountain, the problem, the trial, whatever we're up against, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. What do I got to do? Believe. Shall believe that those things which I say shall come to pass. I shall have whatever I say. Okay? See, the problem is, a lot of our lives are the way they are because you've proven that to be true. You're actually a product of your words. I'll never be anything. I'm no good for nothing. I don't amount to anything. I can't afford anything. I don't have enough money. I'm broke. You can have what you say. Stop saying it. Say what you want. Say what you want to turn around, what you want to be possible. But the 24th verse says this. Therefore, and this is what it's there for. Say it's therefore. Okay, thank you. Therefore, what things? Say things. What are things? Things. Therefore, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you've received them and you shall have them. Amazing. Wow. That's just like like magic. It is. It is. What well, we do, we settle for mediocre because our words are mediocre. I grew up poor. I'm telling you, when I said poor... We went. My, this is a true story. My mom went to welfare to try to get some help, and the lady in there. And this is this is back when I was younger. She was sweet as could be, but and she was a black lady running the place. But she looked at my mom and she literally said, "Honey, I'm sorry. You're the wrong color." And I grew up in a black neighborhood. I thought I was black. You think it's funny? It's true. It's true. I wanted to be black. They could sing. They could dance. I mean, I grew up with Michael Jackson. You know, I'm not talking about the later Michael Jackson. I'm talking about the early Michael Jackson. You know? I mean, I related to black people more than I related to white people. This is a true story. And I still do. Some of my very best friends. Donald Trump. When we're up there. One of my best friends. It's his number one pastor. Pastor Mark Burns he's a black man Trump's number one pastor is a black man number two pastor is a white woman and then okay there's always one in the crowd you take what you can get you're going to be violated you're going to be offended and you're going to be hurt it comes with the territory. Muhammad Ali is a story. He's flying on a public jet one time, and this, this tortoise is walking down the aisle, and she looks as she's passing him. Thank you, baby. I see some communion juice there, too. And walks down the aisle and says, uh, Mr. Ali. You're going to need to fasten your seatbelt. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she kind of turns perplexed and she looks at him. She says, Sir, Superman don't need no plane. They said for the first time they saw his face turn red. True story. He was offended. Needless to say, before the plane would go off the ground, he had to buckle his seatbelt. And see, there ain't none of us that are Superman or Superwoman. Okay? We're children of God. The super's up there. The super's inside of us. But we, whenever I pray, I always say, Lord, I pray that I'm filled with the Spirit of God. It's not by my ability but it's by the ability of the Holy Spirit that works and resides on the inside of me. That Holy Spirit works and resides on the inside of you. God is not a respecter of persons. And let me tell you something. God is a redeemer of time. Is there anyone out there today, your life just didn't kind of turn out the way you thought it would? That you think maybe, you know, things could have gone better. Maybe if I'd have done things sooner, things would be different now. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you something today you may not know. Everything that you could have done, everything that maybe was promised to you, can still be yours. God's a redeemer, a restorer of time. See, God can take where, you know, you've got this one individual, he's over here. And this individual that's over here, did everything right. Raised in a family, went to church, got involved with church, did everything. Built a great big ministry. Now he's got nice cars, nice houses, and now he's over here eating the fruit of his labor. Of course, now you have this other person over here didn't have the opportunity. Family was poor, wasn't able to get an education. Family never took him to church. Things didn't ever work out. Family broke up. Family fought. Kid was always bullied on, beat up, pushed around, abused. You're looking at him. Then all of a sudden, gets on track with God starts believing the way God wants him to believe. starts doing what God tells him to do. Next thing you know, he's sitting at the White House with the President of the United States. Don't even ask me how I got there. I didn't pursue it. I didn't go after it. They came to me. My wife and I were sitting in the office the day they walked into her office. And we knew Trump's campaign would probably use her, but they didn't even go to her first. They came to me first. Dr. Troy, yes? We'd like to ask a favor of you. Okay, what can I do? Well, Donald Trump, oh, Donald Trump, would like you to open rallies for him. Flush. You know, it's like, you're asking something big. I did some rallies before, small little rallies, you know, 800 people 600 people you know 300 people yes sure I'll do it so we go we're going to Tampa the first place we went was Tampa and uh, we drive over there we're driving up to this big auditorium big ballpark type looking place we're driving up there wow you're still here yep wow That looks about like 10,000 people standing outside. Yes, sir, it is. That's the ones that couldn't get in. Um, How many people are inside? 25,000. We just said we had to put speakers outside. And every news network and every TV network's here. Well, how many people are all together? <laughs> you know? Oh, it's mega millions. And there's 35 people live. I can do it. And I got out there, went in the back, and I just said, you know what? They don't know who I am. If it doesn't work out, they'll never have to see me again. <laughs> and so, it's a true story. This true story. All of a sudden the curtains go, they have an MC guy who does big MC. I come walking down the stage, my wife's got pictures. I'm walking down the stage and they're cheering. It's like I'm I'm coming out, I'm a rock star. You know? How many people are here for Donald Trump tonight? Wow. This is like going to a black church. I'm serious. I love black... I'm going to tell you something. I can preach in a black church now. My word. It's like I can, I can go through and just... I'm, I only get about two paragraphs in between all the hallelujahs and praise God. But when I'm done, man, the power of God's fallen. Everybody's jumping to their feet, shouting, this is how it was. This is how it was. Anything I said. I just had a couple of notes. And God says... And it echoes... Ah. And everybody, I didn't say what he said yet. <laughs> I'm like, let's, it's amazing what God can allow us to do and the doors that open up. Then, after we did other rallies and, and he got elected, they called us up and he said, uh, We want to honor you. We'd like you to come to the White House. Wow, I've never been in the White House. Yeah on my way you know we get up there we're sitting with a group of pastors other ones that open Paul the White comes walking in and Paul the White says I just want you all to know you can't say this really now it's kind of you know where Trump is now we can say it but then she said you can't say this right now with everything going but you're our spiritual advisory board me me I'm the, little, I'm the kid that was abused. I'm the kid that got bullied on. I'm the kid that got picked on, cut down, criticized. I'm the kid that I didn't even start reading and writing correctly until I was healed of dyslexia at 28 years old. I was put in the special need classes. Now I write books. But God had to heal me. When I was in school, if they say, Troy, can you stand up and read the next chapter? Just give me the F. Sorry. Why? I didn't want to be embarrassed. Now I'm opening rallies. I ended up a host for Trinity Broadcasting Network for 15 years. Me? I'm the host. I did two times I got to preach. The rest I hosted. 15 years. How? What did I do? Know what I did? I had more fear of not doing what he asked me to do. I had more fear of letting him down and disappointing him. That's, you know, you talk about fear. That's where my fear came from. These doors don't open by themselves. God opens doors that no man can open, and He shuts doors that no man can close. And so every time, I remember when they asked me, We'd like you to preach on TBN. Okay, sure. It was another one of those moments. I'm driving home from the studio because I'm supposed to be there next week. Oh, what did I say? How many people watched that? This is going around the world. It goes into 54 billion homes. Now, not many watched it, but they could. That's just scary enough as it is, you know? And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? Prepared a message. Stood up to the podium. Singers finishing up. And the cameras in front of me and they're going, and I'm going, Oh my God, I forgot everything. I just went blank. Glory to God. Let me tell you, don't you turn that channel right now. God is about to do something supernatural in you. This is what he did. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't all of a sudden instantly on the spot. I see this man sitting behind a coffee table with a gun laying there, ready to commit suicide, and I was going to be his last hope. And at that point, I didn't care how eloquent it was, how it sounded. I was going to get that man saved. And I began to preach to him. When I got done, they called me the next day. They said, Brother Troy? I said, Yes. They said, "Um, Your show is the highest ratings that we had in three years. They aired that particular program over like a four-year period, 38 times. And because it changed lives. They told me this. For every one person that calls in when you lead them to the Lord, a hundred other people they estimate gave their lives that don't call. So when they call you up and tell you, we had 2,600 people who called us and said, they accepted Jesus. That's times 100 each show and then it went on for 15 years and the greatest part of the show for me was not the whole show it's, it's that's what it is it's a show you know we're trying to make it exciting we share things about God that most people already know they just need to be reminded but the best part was at the end of the show I would take time every show it was my show it was praise the Lord I got to do whatever I wanted to do on my show It was a two-hour show It was amazing. People said, well, I don't agree with everything. that's on TBN. I said, well, I don't watch all the other shows. (laughs) I said, but watch mine. Because I've seen it. I've seen seen TBN on, and somebody was on just before I was on, totally preaching opposite of what I preached. Completely. So you need to know who you're setting yourself under and what you're listening to, because what you set yourself under is what you become. And so God just began to move on me. And you know what the number one theme to all my shows were? Love. Love. I had two churches of my own. I was associate pastor at one. These two gentlemen sitting here right now were at the church when I was associate pastor. But I ended up with two churches of my own. My first church grew so fast. It was just, it was so big. It was so fast. I had to Recruit people that, that I don't even know that they were qualified. But you know what? I see them do that in Africa all the time. They go over, spend two weeks, lead somebody to the Lord and say, you're the pastor, we got to go back to the States. And that guy leads thousands to the Lord. You know, how many, have you ever seen the movie Kingdom of God? with uh, What's his name? Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. There's one scene in that I like. They're getting ready to be attacked by all the Muslims that are coming at them. And all their knights have gone out and been destroyed. And this priest is there. We need to run. The priest is the one who wants to take off. We need to get out of here. And the people all gather around. And he says, what are you going to do? We don't have any more knights. In Orlando Bloom, he's a knight. And he looks around. He goes, kneel, you kneel. He tells all these young men and all these guys, kneel. He says, and he gives them a speech. And he slaps them in the face and said, don't forget this. And he knights them one by one. Knights all these men. The priest says to him, do you think by just knighting them that it's going to make them fight better? He goes, yeah, I do. And they all stood up so proud let me tell you something every one of you is knighted by god for god for country and for the people we all need to stand for what's right we cannot allow the enemy to come and destroy us or take away what god's done to us so when we have opposition how am i doing on time When we have opposition that comes against us, it's okay. In New Zealand, there's an island in New Zealand. 41% of their bird population can't fly in New Zealand. They got little nubs. How's that look? They got these little nubs. They can't fly. You wanna know why? Scientists prove why. Because there's no snakes, there's no bobcats, there's no wolves. There's no predators. On this island, all these birds have no opposition. They have no predator. They've never had any need of flying. But you say, I have nothing but opposition. I am hurt every day. I have been offended and I've been wounded beyond measure. You have no idea, Dr. Troy, what I've been through and the hurt that I've had. But remember I said earlier that the greatest attacks can bring out the very best in you. And see, it's like a pilot. A pilot before they fly, they say, which way is the wind blowing? They're looking for the oppositional wind to come to them. They're looking for, they want it to the know, what's coming against me? What is attacking me? What is the, where's the pressure coming from? So they aim the plane directly towards the wind. They don't fly with the wind, there's no lift. They can't get to a higher place in their life without opposition. You are not going to change and grow and become what God wants you to be without opposition. Do you want to be what God wants you to be? Embrace the attack, show the scars. Be proud of who you are in Christ. And take that plane and the heavier the load, the faster that plane goes into that wind and that plane just lifts off the ground and gets higher and higher and higher. God will take the small things of life to profound the minds of the wise and lift you up when nobody else thought you could do it. And put you in a high place where you never thought you could be. And God will redeem the time. And where you're lacking. Where your finances are lacking. Where your marriage is lacking. Where your life is lacking. Where your kids have taken off. Not communicating with you. There's separation between you and your wife. And yet you live together. You'd be better to be alone you feel like. Because you feel lonelier with her. Or with him. Why? Because you don't embrace the opposition. Embrace it. Let God push through. How do I do that? How do I do that? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. God has given me the ability to love. And I'm going to tell you something today. See, I hear young girls say all the time, I just want to find a man that loves me. No, you don't. Well, yes, I do. No, you don't. You want to find a man that's worthy of your love. That reciprocates what you give them. See, if we're created in the image and likeness of God, God said He loved us first. See, we want to love, we want to love. I want to give my wife my love. It's like I want to outlove her. I love you. Babe. I want to love her. Ask her. Somebody said, Are you a good husband? Yeah, I am. You know why? I purpose to be. It's not because I'm a great person. It's not because I got all the answers. It's, baby, what do you need? What do you want? It's easy for me to say, hey, hey, what about me? Come on. No, can you imagine being in a relationship where you try to outlove each other? That's amazing. You know the when you get the best counseling, when you have a good relationship... And you want a great one. See, people, when things are going good, they say, I don't need to go to no seminar for marriage. Uh, You just like things the way they are. You don't want them to get better. How many people in here would like to grow more in the Lord? Does it mean you're not in the Lord then? No, you're in the Lord. But you know what? You see somebody across the room, man, I can see God touching them. I want that. We read stories in the Bible. I want that. I want to feel that. I want to know God that way. You know? Then all this resentment, all this hurt, all this pain. Or do you want to be like a chicken in a, in, a, in, a, in a pen? Eating scraps. No, I want to be an eagle. I want to soar. I want to dominate the sky. Who can come against an eagle? What other bird can come against an eagle? I ain't messing with I them. Don't, I don't think that physically a human could. They're bad. They would tear you up. So these men, they shaved half their beards and they bare their butt. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. Oh my God. I'm a great man in David's kingdom. I'm going to go back here looking like this I would have rather them beat us up, stabbed us, hit us with a couple swords. At least I could go back there a warrior and show my wounds and my scars and I'm tough. But no, I'm going to go back there with half my beard shaved off and my buttocks showing. So David, as gracious as he is, just like a father, David says, I want you to go to Jericho. Don't come back here. Because I don't want them to see you in the state you're in. All messed up. You're emotionally messed up. You guys, your outfits look kind of bad. I don't want to see your butt. You know? So go to Jericho. Allow your beards to grow back. Allow them to grow back. We'll send you some seamstress. and, And we'll have them sew your garments back up so we don't have to look at the end of things. And fix you up. And then once you're all fixed up, you can come back. And then things are going to be better. See, God don't want you coming back all messed up. He wants you coming back to Him strong. He's not out to shame you, but to exalt you. So don't let that type of embarrassment embarrass you. Don't let anybody put you down and make you feel unworthy. You're the apple of His eye. And God is not a respecter of persons. He loves you with a love that's an everlasting love. And I'm going to share one more thing with pastor. And then if you'd like, do we have time to pray for anybody? I want to share one more thing. He loves you with an everlasting love. God will never, like I said, never leave you and forsake you. But he wants to put you in a place that you've never been before. He wants you to become what you've never become before. He wants you to see things like you've never seen things. He believed in you before you believed in you. When you were born, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before you were actually born. Your name, written in, all everybody that's born, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's so cool. It's cool. Before you were born, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so when we read that scripture, raise your children up in the way that they should go that when they get old, they will not depart. If a child dies before the age of accountability, do they go to heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can't go to heaven unless they're right with God. Correct? But don't let them grow up and get messed up. Raise them up in the way they should go so they don't get messed up. So when they get old, they remain in that place with God. Have them say the prayer of salvation. Let them acknowledge who their Savior is. So they continue that life out. So when people say, How long have you known God? From the day I was born. From the day I was born. Why? Because my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It says this in the Bible. It says, See to it that your name is not blotted out. Not added to. Blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. So God today has more faith in you and believes more in you than you do. And he has a plan for you. Why, well, I wish he'd tell me. You know what? We have to do the small things first. When we begin doing what we know to do in the Bible, one of the number one things that we need to be is disciples: the only reward that is going to hold any ground in the future in heaven. That when everything's tried by fire is the souls that have been saved. Oh, but Pastor Troy, I'm so embarrassed. I get out there and I want to talk about it, but I don't know what to say. You don't have to. Man, I was leading people to to the, the Lord before I even knew what the Bible said. I did. I'm saved. Yeah, I said this prayer. And because I said this prayer, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. How do you know? They told me so. Who told you, my pastor? Well, who's your pastor? He's a man of God, and he knows the word of God. That's how it started out. I didn't know what to say. And I, next thing you know, I've got people on their hands and knees, and I'm praying, leading them to Jesus. I didn't know the word. I knew maybe one or two verses that I even messed that up. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Say that with me greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world Now don't be offended look at your neighbor. I don't care if it's a woman or a man say this your beard's gonna grow back It's gonna be made whole again, you're gonna be restored It will grow back Okay And we're gonna cover up your buttocks (laughs) I see the guys saying it to each other. That's funny. (laughs) Glory to God. If you've ever been wounded, you've ever been hurt, you've ever doubted in your salvation or your Christianity, or even in who you are, if you're having struggles in your relationships, if you felt rejected by your family, if you felt abandoned by God, If you've been bullied, pushed around, felt like you don't have no abilities or talents. Or you don't feel like you have control over your life. And everything just feels out of control, messed up. I'd like you to line up here right now and I'm going to pray for you. And if you don't need this message right now, just put it in your med- put it in your medicine cabinet for later.